Talk Live. It is your show. You can bring up whatever you want via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are completely free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. We'll start things out here tonight with a story I mentioned last night. We never had a chance to get to it. About Zimbabwe, from time to time, we check in with their monetary situation over there, which, in case you aren't aware, is just just awful. Well, it's not that we're checking in with Zimbabwe because Zimbabwe isn't terribly important to us. It's that, you know, what's going on there is hyperinflation, and it can happen anywhere. Anywhere that, uh, you know, a government decides for whatever reason, be it greed or desperation, to print too much money you'll have that instance, and that's what's happening in Zimbabwe. Yep, and so we'll give you an update here on the, the numbers. What, How bad has it gotten, and what are they doing over there as a result of it? The story from the Mail on Sunday in the UK, mailonsunday.co.uk. It's without the doubt, without a doubt, the largest check ever seen, but it's worth little more than the paper it's written on. The astronomical sum of one quadrillion, 72 trillion, I didn't even know what came after trillion. Four hundred. I, I happen to know that, but I don't know what they're going to do soon. Four hundred quintillion. Nope, they have a solution. Four hundred <laughs> and eighteen billion and three million dollars only. Note the only was drawn on the MBCA Bank in Zimbabwe, part of one of the largest banking groups in Africa. It was paid by Kasawi Estates, a property company, and was emailed to the Daily Mail by a group of former Rhodesian expats or ex- expatriates who are horrified at Zimbabwe's incredible rate of inflation, which is officially 2.2 million percent, but British experts say it's closer to 12.5 million percent. And, of course, it's typical for governments to fudge the numbers when it comes to their inflation numbers, their statistics. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whatever the government says inflation is, you can presume it's actually higher than that. I think the government claims to have, what, 2 to 3 percent inflation in America, but it's actually probably more like 10 plus percent. Well, they they fudge the numbers. They'll take out things like fuel, housing, um, you know, stuff like that, you know, electrical, and then they leave you with things like, you know, the, the... stuff you buy at Walmart, and that's not really a good indication of how well America's doing, considering most of my money is spent on housing and fuel and Mm -hmm. food and things like that. Food is also one of the things I'll take out. Currency dealer said the plunging value of Zimbabwe dollars made it almost impossible to estimate its value, but some some thought it would have been worth no more than a few pounds yesterday, and certainly even less today. The incredible check, which is believed to be payment as part of a property deal, was revealed as the Zimbabwe Central Bank decided to reduce the huge sums that hard-pressed citizens have to deal with simply by knocking ten zeros off the end. Mm, how nice of them. <laughs> so now, the old value, that means that from Friday, when new banknotes are printed, 10 billion old Zimbabwe dollars is now, poof, one Zimbabwe dollar. It's magic. It is magic. It's magic funny money. And this just really should go to show people... Uh, another example of the fact that this is just all arbitrary. The, the government money system is, com- is completely based on nothing but thin air. It's, it's just nonsense. They make it up as they go along. They print up as much as they want to. And once they've hyperinflated and printed too much, they just lob off ten zeros from the end of it and start all over again. Now, lobbing off ten zeros isn't going to stop the hyperinflation. It's just going to make it easier to write a check for about a week that before it gets true. back up to where it was before. 
Oh, my goodness. Well, the desperate move was taken by bank governor Gideon Gono because the nation's computers, calculators, and ATMs faced meltdown because they can't handle all the zeros involved when bread and staple foods cost billions and trillions of dollars. The move came about a week after Dr. Gono introduced a $100 billion note, which is now not enough to buy a loaf of bread. Can you imagine that? Just for a moment, stop for a moment. I mean, if you're driving, you should probably keep driving. But if <laughs> stop what you're doing if you're not driving for a moment, and think about what that's like. I mean, bread for Americans, buck fifty nine, buck nineteen, two dollars and twenty cents, something like that. It should be a dollar. It should be less than a dollar. I mean, uh, uh, back know, in the day, it was five that, cents. That moment in time when I just imprinted on how much a, a loaf of bread was, it was, it was a dollar. dollar. Yeah, I see. Well, so try to imagine what it's like to have a a, a loaf of bread. The shelf price, I mean, they don't even put a shelf price up in Zimbabwe because they'd be changing it every five minutes. So the price, you go up to the register when you buy your food, that's when they tell you what it's going to cost. It's $10 billion for a loaf of bread. Just try to imagine what that what that means. It you can't grasp it. You no. can't you can't wrap your mind around what ten billion dollars actually is. You know it'll buy you the loaf of bread, but <laughs> there's no real way to to quantify uh, or to to really understand what that means. And the whole idea that a loaf of bread could be ten billion dollars is just it's just crazy to even think about, isn't it? Could this happen here? Could this happen in America? Could this insane hyperinflation situation scenario occur here? Well, of course it could. Um, now, the question is, will it? Um, right now, Barack Obama is proposing, what, $2 trillion? Uh, you know, deficit for the, uh, 2010 because you know, they're, they're trying to get us back on track, so the government's going to print money. They don't say that. We're turning on the printing presses because they don't want to tell you know people to realize that they're devaluing the currency. But the marketplace knows that already. It figures that stuff out relatively mm-hmm. quickly. So, you know, I don't. I, 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 our currency is going to be devalued, no doubt. How much hyperinflation? Conjecture. Yeah, that, that, those are the two questions, right? How much devaluation and how soon will it happen? It's inevitable that it will be devalued. That's what has happened to the U.S. dollar ever since they took away the value backing. Ever since they uh, dropped away from value backing and turned it into a true fiat currency, it's just dropped like a rock. It's lost 97% of its original value. I believe it's around 96, 97% of its original value at that time. Since then, in about 100 years' time. We're we're actually coming up on about the 100-year anniversary of it, as a matter of fact. So... Hopefully, we'll be able to take things slow here as far as inflation is concerned. But either way, whether it's inflation or hyperinflation, the the basics of the situation are still the same. The government is printing money out of thin air, and they're manufacturing. It doesn't create new value. It doesn't create new wealth. You have to create new products and services and put them in the marketplace uh, in order to have new wealth created. Just printing out money doesn't do that. And do they uh, – Americans, do they understand this? Do Americans realize what it is, how, how tenuous this situation is? No, they, I was listening to Tom Hartman, the, uh, the, 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 the Air America's Rush Limbaugh, so the Democratic Rush Limbaugh guy. Not that he's nearly as popular, because he's certainly not. He's just in the same time slot. Yeah, he's in the same time slot, and he's, he's a heavy hitter, no doubt. He's a, he does a good show, but uh, you know, he's like, you want to do good things for Americans? Raise the minimum wage. Uh, you know, 
This is this is how he <laughs> proposes to solve the financial crisis. This guy who's got gosh, you know, master's degrees out the wazoo. That's what they taught him in college. Yeah, right. And he, he, he spends every minute of his show. Well, every minute he spends a great deal of his time on his show trying to, uh, you know, sort of debunk economics. He understands that he has a failed philosophy, mm-hmm. and he tries very, very hard to debunk economics, and you know, fails all the time. I can't say I've really listened to the guy before, um, save the occasional time when I I happen to be driving with you and you haven't tuned in. Yeah. Uh, but I did actually encounter him. At the what was it that Manchester political event that that they had oh, d- during the election, they had this event in Manchester during the primary season where a bunch of talk show hosts got together in a hotel and set up a radio row, yeah, remote broadcast equipment. And Tom Hartman was one of those hosts. And you and I mulled around looking for interview opportunities, and we barely got any of them. But did I managed to get one with Tom Hartman. You did, and I sat in on his show for about ten minutes. When did this happen? I, you know, I could never, I don't think I went and, and grabbed an archive of it, or maybe I couldn't get it. I don't know. I don't really recall. I don't, I guess I didn't put too much effort into it. But man, I wish I had more time with that guy because he's a pretty sharp dude. Yeah. Uh, but he's a died in the wool statist, and we started getting into private justice like right off right off the bat, and so it would have been a really interesting conversation. If I'd had an hour with that guy, it would have been very interesting. But it was only ten minutes, so you, what can you do? Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. That is the SACL CAI toll free line. But it was good being across the table from him because he couldn't pop me down or anything like that. He couldn't take me off the air like he might if you were a caller, for instance. 800-259-9231. You can bring up anything. Coming up, what are the Baltimore police going to do to protect their own? The thin blue line closes tighter. We'll explain in moments. Talk Live, you can bring up anything. Just dial the toll-free number 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. And it's Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are totally free, so enjoy those on us, including the live streams, broadband version, dial-up version, and a webcam, all totally free for you at listen.freetalklive.com. That's listen.freetalklive.com. Julia stepping into the third seat a few moments late, but better late than never. Uh, We'll take as much as we can have. In fact, I'm glad you're here for this, Julia, because this is going to be an outrageous story. I don't think that it has gotten this. I didn't didn't realize it was going to get this bad this soon, but then again, the government is uh, pretty good at exceeding my expectations as far (laughs) as how fast they will uh, roll down the road toward tyranny. And the police state. And this is about the police state. The story is from the Baltimore Sun. And uh, we're going to get to that. But first, let's talk to Dennis in New Hampshire. We'll find out what the police in Baltimore are doing to close the thin blue line ever tighter. Go ahead, Dennis. What's on your mind tonight? Uh, greetings, freedom fighters. Yes, sir. I, I just had a really interesting conversation with a police officer. Funny that you mention it. A conversation. Okay. Yeah. I... Um... I was I was taping a show for my little my little public access TV show and on the show I had a police officer and um, and uh, a civil disobedience activist person which is fun and um, <laughs> so I was talking to this police officer afterward and as fate would have it this was one of the guys who arrested Mike Fisher 
for his illegal civil disobedience manicure thing. That was uh, the uh, it happened a long time ago, like three or four years ago now at this point, where one of the free state activists uh, went out in front of the bureaucracy that regulates nail filing or whatever, and he actually filed someone's nails without a permit or without a license, and they actually arrested him for it. And this guy was still, still clearly, visibly, really, he's still chewing on that. He is still chewing on that and still really thinking about that. Really? Oh, yeah. And so today when he's talking to another young person who is, you know, sitting there and saying, you know, full well, he he intends to get arrested. He knows exactly which law he's getting arrested. He knows exactly what the punishment would be. And you can see this guy is not happy with the fact that (laughs) the kid is going to get arrested. It's... um, so he's he's up he's thinking about like the 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 act of civil disobedience is working or he is uh frustrated I'm still con, con, diff, confused he's he's got a moral problem a moral conundrum uh, okay. you know well a moral you know what do you call it challenge like oh what oh my goodness what do a I quandary. do here um and I tell you what what really struck me I I hear Ian all the time talking about oh if 10 people didn't you know, didn't obey, then the system would crumble. And I go, come on. I tell you what, I, I never realized this until just a few minutes ago. I seriously think 10 Michael Fishers would, I, I don't know what it would do to the cops, at least in, <laughs> in a particular community. I, I don't think they'd all throw down their guns and stop coming to work, but I think they would say, oh, yeah, those people are doing civil disobedience. Don't bug them. Yeah, well, I mean, just just from a numbers perspective, Dennis, here in Keene, where we do the show, there are only so many cops on duty at any given point. I mean, if you had 10 people doing civil disobedience, those 10 people would have to be awfully cooperative if the cops intended to arrest all 10 of them because they just don't have the they just don't have enough manpower physically to do things uh, to do something about that. Uh the activists up here have been talking about doing a sit-in at the court because uh, one of the judges here had a real uh a, a hissy fit about people not not standing up in his courtroom, and he demanded it and threatened uh, threatened the activists with arrest. And at that time, they weren't ready to be arrested. But many of them are willing to go in next time and put them uh, put their freedom on the line. And you know, if they don't have enough bailiffs, what can they do? I really do see the impact now. Now that I've had a chance to talk to someone face to face, one on one, the impact that arresting someone who they know is not hurting anyone and is doing it for a reason, to make the point, it, it bugs them. It, they don't walk away from that unchanged. They want to what? feel like they're doing what's right. They want to feel like the good guy. They want to feel like a hero. And if you can make them feel uncomfortable in their job by having them arrest somebody who's obviously peaceful or whatever the situation is, that really has to do something. Th- this I, is I, why... I can tell you it does. This is why, to me, good civil d- dif- disobedience is... Something like this where, I mean, pretty much everyone can agree that it's absolutely ludicrous that Michael got arrested for this. I think... Well, now, wait a minute. We're not talking about another manicurist. We're talking about... You didn't actually mention what the instance is that you were talking about, Dennis. Yes, he... You, no, you actually, mentioned Michael I, I Fisher in the past, but the the show you did where the cop was talking to the disobedient guy is about what's coming up uh, happening on Saturday with the marijuana protest, right? That's correct. But Go I was under point. the impression that... Dennis was pointing out that this guy is still disturbed after when he was talking to him after the show. This guy is still disturbed, disturbed by the fact that he arrested Mike Fisher three years ago. Oh, yeah, it's lingering. 
Right. And you can really see he's he's going, oh, my God, another one. Like, you know, he was hoping this was a one-off. Really, <laughs> yeah, it's not going to. Not because of the amount of paperwork or because, oh, this sucks or these damn hippies. No, he was just like, oh, don't don't put me through this again. There, there's a limit to their ability to be the bad. And the guy actually used the word. You know, he says, look, I, I really don't want to feel like a Nazi. And I said, look, stop acting like one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and he didn't get all flustery about that. He's like introspecting at that point yeah Um, wow i definitely see the value of uh civil disobedience um, in pointing out problems in society i think that there's still i think there's a role for the the political types to uh to 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 fix those problems as it were um to you know have these laws eliminated and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. but you know and until it's pointed out to people and this guy had it pointed out to him in spades if he had the decision in his um hand he wouldn't uh arrest somebody like that again exactly and it's going to take uh, pressure from all sides. It's going to take media. It's going to take legislative change. It's going to take civil disobedience to make even the tiniest moves towards liberty. Um, you know, it's, it's it's not going to happen just from a radio show. It's not going to happen just from a sit-in. It's not going to happen just from one legislator getting sure. elected. We're talking about changing society, and man, that's that's like what's the term? Sisyphean. That's pushing the big rock uphill. It's quite a challenge. Anyway, was... that, that was the deal. Who was the guy who got his liver eaten out by the eagle every day? Oh, uh, Prometheus. Okay. <laughs> well, that's it. that's what he gets for giving fire to the people. Yeah, don't don't fire. Hey, yeah. Dennis, your show is uh, NH Capital Access. I mean, obviously it's New Hampshire focused, but for those who are outside of New Hampshire that are interested in watching uh, another one of the many uh, programs, the liberty-oriented programs that are originating from here in New Hampshire, how can they go and see your show? Really what I'd recommend people to do is just go to the freestateproject.org website um, because freestateproject.org has like an aggregator of a whole bunch of pro-liberty media from New Hampshire on it on the front page. Like when we do a, when we do a show, we put it on the web. Free State Project picks it up. They put it up just like they do with Free Minds TV. So, yeah, just go to freestateproject.org. When is, this go- when is this going online? Is it already available? or? Uh, Probably maybe tomorrow, sometime over the weekend. It all depends on, you know, I do actually have to work for a living sometimes. There you go. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing this because it sounds like a very interesting discussion that you had there with uh, with a cop and a soon-to-be civil disobedient. Thank you, Dennis, for the call tonight. 800-259-9231. Even old Dennis changing his mind about uh, civil disobedience. I like that. It's good. And the more we can do, the more of an effect it will have on people outside and inside the movement. More coming up. You take control. It's Free Talk Live. Are you moving to New Hampshire for the Free State Project? Maybe you are already here and need to find a place to call your own. Mark Warden, the Porcupine Realtor, will help you find the perfect property. Do you want a home with 50 acres of land? How about an income-producing building? Perhaps a cabin on a lake or a condo in an urban area? Invest in liberty and property. Contact Mark Warden, Porcupine Realtor. See his banner ad at freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything. Just dial toll-free 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It is Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are totally free, so enjoy those on us. Uh, Those features, by the way, including the live streams, broadband version, dial-up, webcam, all free at listen.freetalklive.com. That's listen. 
www.freetalklive.com. I want to continue on the civil disobedience discussion here that Dennis got started. Uh, coming up here in New Hampshire, Keene is where it's going to be taking place. One of the Manchester uh, Free Staters, a, a young man who moved in from California, Andrew, is going to be doing a marijuana protest. Andrew does not smoke marijuana. He's not a marijuana consumer. He, I think that is excellent. It's quite a, a position. It's, necessary. To be, yeah. it's a good position to be coming from for this particular protest, that's for sure. And I think it's a great first marijuana protest. So that's what he, he's going to be uh, standing in public on Saturday afternoon, I believe 1 o'clock in the afternoon, in uh, Keene, New Hampshire. He'll be standing in public and will hold in the palm of his hand, this is as I understand the protest, will hold a palm, in the palm of his hand a, a bud of marijuana. That will be the protest. And he has publicized this, and the police are well aware of it, because they watch our blogs and they read our internet forums here. And so the question is, well, what are they going to do? Are they going to arrest him? Are they going to throw him in a jail cell? Will they arrest him and just immediately release him on his recognizance? Will they simply give him a citation? Will they ignore the entire occasion entirely? What will the police do? The ball will be in their court at 1 o'clock on Saturday afternoon, and time will tell. So that's what uh, Dennis was talking about. He had Andrew on his show, which Dennis's show is NHCAP uh, TV, New Hampshire Capital Access. Uh, and he was interviewing a police officer alongside of this young, civilly disobedient man. And... These cops, number one, aren't used to dealing with civil disobedience. No, I mean, they, they didn't get into the business to clack people over the head who are being peaceful and trying to live their lives in a peaceful manner. Right. They got into the business to get bad guys. And when they know Most that of they're, them did. When yeah. they know that they got in, well, I think that every one of them, even the ones that didn't get into the business to get bad guys, tell themselves they got into the business to get, um, to get bad guys. So it doesn't really matter. Um, and But when they have to deal with somebody who's uh, being civilly disobedient, they have to do one of two things. They either have to uh, question you know, their job themselves and all mm -hmm. that stuff, or they have to turn that person into a bad person. Um, depending and if it's clear they're not bad, then that's a real tough thing to do. Well, it is. Um, yeah. I think that uh, some some forms of civil disobedience, they're able to say that this person is bad because they're doing something stupid. But in in this case, is you're you know, <laughs> the time has come for marijuana decriminalization. You better believe it. And this, so I mean, even the cops realize that. The, the, a lot of them do. A lot of them are, are secretly against the war on drugs. They just they're so afraid of the political ramifications. It's not a popular opinion. To be against the well, war on drugs? not necessarily to be against it, but to come out and talk about it is That's not true. popular. Especially as a cop. I, I'm not, I, I don't, I'm openly, I openly discuss marijuana legalization. That's not a subject that makes me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But And when I say it to people, if it comes up and I start talking to them about it, I feel like they agree, but they're shocked that I would say such a thing. Oh, yes. How dare you speak of uh, marijuana in polite company or something yeah. like that? It's just one of those things you're not supposed to talk about, I guess. I don't know if I've if I've had those same experiences, but I can certainly imagine having them, and I can see where you're. I absolutely can see where you're coming from on that. So, so putting the police into that difficult position of having to deal with somebody who's clearly peaceful, clearly intelligent, and clearly attempting to uh, to make a point, and having them have to be the bad guy makes them feel very uncomfortable. And that's why I say the more we can have this happen, the better off we're going to be. The more civil disobedience, the better. The more non-cooperation, the better. Because the, the government system that we have today relies entirely 
on your consent. It relies on your cooperation. Yeah, we understand. They're going to hurt you if they want to hurt you. They're going to throw you in a jail cell if they want to throw you in a jail cell. Certainly, it's not 100% based in consent. But my point here is that if enough people stop consenting and stop obeying, then there's very little that they can do. As an example. The transaction cost is very high for them and this whole marijuana. um, To arrest somebody? Yeah, to arrest someone, to to incarcerate them and all that other stuff. That's that's difficult. And, you know. The states can't print money. Even even though the government doesn't react to economics in the same fashion as uh, the real world, it still has to react. That's true. Ultimately, there is a finite amount of money going into their coffers at the state and local levels because they can't turn on the printing presses like the federal government can. So you're right, Mark. There is a certain point at which, a certain breaking point at which they just can't afford to do this anymore. And we know that that point isn't far away because right now, here in New Hampshire... And other state governments may be uh, affected in the same way. The budget is so tight that they had to cut jury trials for an entire month. They just had to say, well, uh, speedy trial. Well, sorry about that. You can't have a speedy trial this month. If you've got a jury trial, you have to wait an extra month because they needed to save some money. How many times does that have to happen before they say, you know, we're just not going to do the marijuana possession below uh, an ounce anymore. Uh, Right. You know, whatever. And it it doesn't take a change in the law. I mean, that'd be nice and everything, but all it really takes is a change in enforcement. The cops could just say, well, we're not doing this anymore. We're going to focus on other things. I've been arrested for marijuana possession twice, not recently, but Mm -hmm. both times the cop who pulled me aside and fingerprinted me, both times, two separate states, two separate cops, when they were private and just alone with me, told me that they did not agree with the law and that they thought that it was Mm. a total waste of time that I was there and that they personally would not have bothered arresting me were it them. This conversation is going to become more and more important, and it will become more and more frequent. I mean, uh, Julia, you're saying that people don't want to talk about these things. Right. These were behind closed doors. They would not say those things in front of their other fellow police officers. But that's going to be happening more and more. People are going to have this conversation as more disobedience continues to occur. It forces the issue into public discussion. And just by total coincidence... Last month, there was supposed to be a news article, a feature news article printed in the uh, biggest paper in the state, the Union Leader. It was going to be about marijuana prohibition and the possibility of ending it. I've not read the article yet because it hasn't come out. The ice storms hit up here, and they delayed this. It's just a feature article. It's not time-sensitive, so they could put it out whenever they wanted to. So they put it on hold, and it's allegedly going to come out this Sunday. So the day after Andrew Carroll does his um, marijuana disobedience here in Keene, there's a huge article that's going to be released with law enforcement against prohibition members from New Hampshire quoted in it. And two weeks ago, um, the Keene Sentinel, which is the oldest newspaper in New Hampshire, um, is it ran an article on decriminalization, too. That's true. So now the atmosphere in Keene, at least uh, amongst the newspaper-reading folks, so the old people um, yeah. have had the idea of marijuana decriminalization introduced to them. And you know, for a lot of it, it's like, I, I don't know, I've never seen this stuff, and I heard that crack is bad. Like, they're, they're just, yeah. you know, it's, it's all one big muddled mess. Drugs are drugs to them. It really is. Yeah. I mean, when, when I, you know, when my mom found out I smoked marijuana when I was young, she's like, this isn't that crack stuff is it she she had no idea and god bless her you know she yeah. she doesn't know so i i think that uh, you know people need to be introduced to this idea and that's what that's what's happening and i think that uh, i think you'll see in the next couple of years something really big happening in new hampshire on this i don't know what obviously i wish we had been leading the charge uh, certainly other states have tried it and, and done it 
But uh, well, maybe we can take the lead here soon. It'd be nice. With enough civil disobedience. That's one of the reasons I like talking about marijuana. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people think that I'm some pothead who just spends my days getting stoned. But I really just think it's important for people who are responsible to talk about smoking marijuana. I agree. If the responsible marijuana users would come out of the closet and stop living in so much fear, and some of it's they justified. Just little cowards about well, it. Well, no, wait a minute. Now, some of it's justified. I mean, some of them might lose their jobs immediately upon that information coming out. So I can understand the, the fear. But in many cases, that's not going to happen. If you work at a restaurant, for instance, you're not going to get fired. Uh, so, so coming out and talking to family members and friends about this issue is critical. I talk to my mom about it all the time. I always tell her if she asks what I'm doing and I'm honestly smoking at that time, I'll tell her. Because I feel like the more she hears it, this the you know, the less it matters. Exactly. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. If you've got thoughts on this, maybe you're a law enforcement officer out there listening and you've had a shift in paradigm on the issue of drug prohibition. What was it that helped you come to the understanding? Or were you always against prohibition but just didn't ever want to say anything about it? 800-259-9231. Your thoughts on this or whatever you want. This is Free Talk Live. Talk Live. It's your show. You can bring up what you want. Just dial toll-free 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features we give away. Now, if you like the show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, you can learn how to promote us by going to promote.freetalklive.com. There's a whole list of things for you uh, that you can do to help get Free Talk Live into more ears around the world, and most of them are completely free. So please go to promote.freetalklive.com as we go to your phone calls. and Start with Ken in California. Ken, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian, Julia, and Mark. Hey guys, I, I was listening. I was listening. Hi, I was listening to the show again tonight, and uh, just we hope so. gave me gave me another epiphany. Um, hmm. Basically, uh, you were talking about the police and marijuana and all this. So, what I was figuring, cops who truly have a conscience, if they're truly serving and protecting the interests of the public, then how can they, with a good conscience, arrest anyone for marijuana? Firstly, well, they're just following orders, Ken. Well, no, but I understand. Also, if well, if they're supposed to serve and protect, they're not protecting by not serving us by speaking up and saying this is morally wrong. That's co- it's correct, but you're you're familiar with the Milgram study, right? Uh, no, not th- no, I'm not. Well, it basically, it's a uh, a study where they administered electric shocks to uh, uh, you know one person. Oh yes, I'm, fam- I'm familiar with that, but I'm not. I wasn't familiar with it under the name. I've heard okay. of it where they take taken people, normal everyday people, and put them in situations and and made them evil by shock. Right. Well, you know, evil. evil I don't know. I mean, or by it, telling them to shock someone. Right. It basically, it proved that authorities um, could get people to do things that they wouldn't do. Otherwise. Well, the other study that is relevant to mention here is the Stanford Prison Experiment, uh, which was not a Milgram experiment, but it was instead a Zimbardo, I think it was. And that was where they took college kids and assigned them to being either guards or, or, or prisoners in a fake jail setup. And they watched what happened, and the, the entire thing spiraled completely out of control beyond what the, uh, the original intentions were for the project. Uh, the, the guy that was putting it on, the, the psychology counselor or whatever, the, the teacher, 
professor that was putting it on was shocked at what happened, and essentially they all fell right into their roles. Yeah. The uh, the guards were acting like guards when two days beforehand they'd been regular college kids, uh, and they were being sadistic and awful, and the uh, the prisoners were acting pathetic and terrible, and it was just an awful situation. Uh, they, there, there was a sort of a prison break, but then some of the prisoners wouldn't go along with the break, as though this is real authority. This is fake authority. Yeah. But they still couldn't come up with the, what it took in their soul to um, say no to the fake authority. Right. It's crazy. It yeah. is crazy. Well, hopefully more cops will join Leap. Um, I hope so. I'm, I'm really pushing Leap because... Because if, as soon as they find the compassion and, and the knowledge that they're ruining more lives, when, when you put someone in jail for a plant, um, that's like, uh, I don't know, that's, that's more wrong, that's more wrong than, than, than almost any other thing they could do to a citizen on a regular daily basis. It's pretty I mean, awful, I, and so yeah. many people are affected by it every single year. Last numbers I saw was over 800,000 Americans were put were arrested for marijuana mostly possession charges in one year's time and it's it's that terrible more than the population of some of the some of the states oh yeah it's it's crazy hey before before i go guys can i play a real quick four second clip go ahead okay and and i don't agree with this but this is this is the mindset the cops have marijuana is a narcotic medically and legally it never did anybody any good and does everybody a lot of harm my <laughs> Thank you, Ken, for the call tonight. I appreciate hearing from you. 800-259-9231. It's interesting, the situation the cops claim to be in, right? I mean, the situation is that, well, it's our job to uphold the law. The law is the law. It's a nation of laws. Blah, blah, blah. This is my job. I'm doing my job, etc., etc. We've heard all the excuses. Well, you know, I don't want to arrest marijuana smokers, and sometimes I don't, but it's my job, so sometimes I do, or whatever. And if it's their job to arrest marijuana smokers then they should do it every single time, but they don't. And that's good. I'm glad they don't. I'm glad they let people go. But if they're really into doing their job right every single time, then... If, the, if that was, right. in fact, a valid right. excuse. Yeah. Exactly. So they're kind of, a lot of them are kind of in this limbo land. And then you've got Fred Parcells. Fred, who is a local politician here in the Keene area... I love Fred. Wrote me. He's a nice guy. Uh, a little confused, but, you know, he's learning, and so are we all. Fred emails in here uh, because I called him out as a local politico, and he got upset because uh, he doesn't like being called politician. Now, that's not politician. Politico means somebody who's, to me, it means somebody who's interested in politics. And Wait, so I was explaining that to him. Wasn't he a city councilor two was. months ago? No, it was uh, like a year ago or something. Year well, and a half doesn't. Ago. Or is that not a politician? Is a he's city no councilor? Because okay, they don't get paid. He doesn't like the terminology politician because uh, and and he tries very hard to be fair and middle of the road. I mean, I can't even figure out whether Fred is a Democrat or a Republican. He's neither. It, it, I, he's not right. He he is neither. Um, and you know, I can't figure out whether he's authoritarian or small state. He's this. He's like a a, a staunch militant moderate. It's um. So I I think Fred's trying. So what Fred uh, Fred wrote me back after I responded to him about well Fred I meant pol- by politico I meant you're into politics and he says actually I greatly dislike politicians that's why I was an elected official kind of like Ms Julia wanted to be there is a difference 
I didn't say that I was in favor of civil disobedience. I said I was in favor of decriminalization of marijuana, one ounce or less, says Fred. <laughs> Andrew's efforts will achieve nothing. He's talking about because the... Because what would the difference between one ounce, one gram be? Don't ask, don't ask Fred to answer those questions. He'll never answer Oh, yeah, them. that's one thing that always actually really bothered me. Fred's <laughs> a great guy, but he'll ask you question after question after question, and he will never, never. answer yours. Yep. <laughs> he never. never answer questions. Uh, but he'll ask you plenty. He says, if I were the police chief, I would ignore him. I see this as a Barry Cooper moment. Smells like a setup to sucker the police into reacting. That's what I wanted to bring up here. Because if it's the law, this isn't suckering the police into reacting. This is testing the police to see if they will enforce the law that they supposedly are so sworn to uphold. If it's your job to arrest people who possess marijuana, you should arrest Andrew Carroll on Saturday afternoon. Well, I, I wouldn't be adamant for um, for the arrest. I think that I, I think that no. The, I hope they don't arrest. Him. It's right. There's a success in every uh, aspect here. That's that's Correct. why it's great civil disobedience. Is because if they don't arrest him, they, look, you show the, we've shown here that cops don't arrest everyone uh, who has marijuana. Um, I you know maybe maybe Fred's right. Maybe there would be an advantage to, uh, to for the for, to the police for not going after Andrew and uh, or well, yeah, they wouldn't be videotaped arresting somebody who is clearly a nonviolent individual. Now, I it it would seem that if this it if it is immoral to possess marijuana um and because it's immoral it is illegal then the cops are morally obligated to Right. Uh, you know, to, to go and arrest him. But what we'll see happen is, if they don't arrest him, as they have avoided arresting us for gambling in the past, and they've avoided arresting Dave Ridley for doing various different law-breaking, uh, another New Hampshire activist, if they don't choose to, if they choose to not enforce their law, then how can anybody claim to have any respect for their law? If it's not even evenly enforced, it's not even consistently enforced. They they obviously don't have any set standards. Right. It's like then, whatever makes us look good. If there is no set standard, then it is not moral. Mm, what they are doing is then immoral. Because it's not set, it's not, it, there is no standard. The law must be immoral yeah. if you are going to uh, enforce it arbitrarily. Well, the, yes, the fact is and this law is arbitrarily enforced. These guys are the you know th- their job is to be moral, is to you know enforce the social morality. That's what the idea well, the behind I- li- right. laws are. And of course, the irony is that in order to enforce their morality, they have to be immoral by threatening people with violence in order to contribute to their programs. One can take a utilitarian stance on that, and um, you know make a, a darn good argument for um you know that that it in fact being moral to enforce laws so 800 259 no one can make an argument that forcing um enforcing laws arbitrarily is moral 1-800-259-9231 so we will bring you the latest on this marijuana pro uh, protest situation as it develops I wonder uh, how often have protests like this actually occurred in the United States. Clearly, there have been public smokeouts. There have been things like uh, there's the Colorado campus where every single year they have, I think it's on 420, they have a 420 day and and the kids go out into the the common area and a bunch of them get high and it's record numbers every single year and the cops obviously can't do anything about it because there's just too many people. So there's that particular protest. There are also the various different hemp fests that Mm -hmm. happen around the country, many of which they don't officially have public smokeouts, but... People get high there anyway. And I think the cops, everybody knows that at a hemp fest, yeah. uh, a great deal of people are high. A lot of times cops leave them alone, but sometimes cops pick on people there. So there's nothing really consistent you can say about that. Mark Emery in Canada went on a tour in front of police stations and smoked a bong. 
uh, bong hits across Canada or something like that, <laughs> in the summer of bong, hit, bong rips. And he went and he did that, and he had amazing success at that. But that was Canada. So what about the United States? Have there been any other protests like Mr. Carroll's protests that will be taking place on Saturday? There where it- probably have been protests of this sort at some point in time over the history of marijuana being illegal, but they're not common, that's for sure. And nothing came of them, that's for sure, too. And and those protesters might not have been backed up by a great activist network. So this is certainly going to be a first in some way, shape, or form. And, of course, we'll be talking to you more about it as it develops. It's going to happen Saturday, so if you're listening to Saturday's show, we'll give you the latest. Uh, More coming up here. Hour 2 is on the way. You bring up anything. This is Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up anything. Just dial toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are completely free, so enjoy those on us. Uh, Unlike those other talk show hosts, they want to charge you for accessing their website. Ours, totally free. Enjoy. freetalklive.com. Dot com as we continue with your phone calls about whatever you want. And then coming up, we'll tell you about how the thin blue line is closing ever tighter around its own. Uh, first, we'll talk to Sean in Minnesota. Sean, you're on Free Talk Live. Greetings. Good evening, everyone. Hi, Sean. I thought it was interesting. Uh, you mentioned the interview with Tom Hartsman where he was advocating raising the minimum wage. But the problems go way, way beyond that. What, what, the way I see it, what, what needs to happen in this country is we need to go back to how America was in the early days of this country where 95% of the population was self-employed. We need to get rid of these corporations. Uh, citizens should not be, be forced to have to work for corporations well, for their livelihood. People should be able to work for themselves. And people shouldn't be forced to work for corporations or the government either. People should be able to work for themselves. People can work for themselves. No one's forced to work for any sort of corporation. I mean, there's all kinds of options when it comes to jobs out there. You sort of are because of the because of the license, of licensing laws and things Maybe like that. Maybe forced, you should use a different word then because I don't... Right. Yeah, the, 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 really the options are limited because yeah. of zoning rules and, and licensing laws and, and things like that. I would that. say that most people go out and work, get jobs like you're describing instead of working for themselves because that's what government schools teach you is the right thing to do. Sadly to say, you are right. And, 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 and don't even get me started on that topic <laughs> because, because I don't have a congenial opinion of academic institutions. <laughs> well, it's, but, it, it's, it's like a tangled web. It it's all seems yes. to you know, focus down to the point where the government and the uh, you know, big business are in collusion. Sure they are. Well, they don't want you thinking on your own. They don't want you thinking independently. They don't want you getting any entrepreneurial ideas in your head. Those big businessmen are quite happy where they are with a very limited amount of competition that is insured by the yeah. government regulatory structure. And in addition, as you're saying, Mark, it all works together. The regulations ensure that it's very difficult for someone who is an entrepreneur to start up their own business. And the government indoctrination system, called public schools, as they more commonly called them, uh, the mm-hmm. government indoctrination system ensures that most kids don't even 
even get it into their head to be entrepreneurial in the first place. So even if you could think about what you want to do as far as an entrepreneur is con- uh, entrepreneurial effort is concerned, the government regulations then stand in your way and make it next to impossible. So the whole situation is really designed from top to bottom to uh, just exclude people from your rights, starting their own businesses and creating wealth for themselves and their families. And if if citizens were not impeded from pursuing and achieving uh, uh, entrepreneurial aspirations, uh, all of the I believe that all of the functions and the services that the transnational corporations are are, are, are doing could, could could be done better by by private small time entrepreneurs. I if, think if, right. if we weren't being impeded. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there there's something to be said for a large distribution network and buying bulk, and, and Walmart certainly has done some amazing things in the area of organizing retail to make it more profitable. So, I, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to take a dump on big corporations in general because I think there are a lot of still great innovative ideas out I there. Agree. But with but the more competition, the playing field is not level. Correct. The playing field is not level, and with more competition in any one of those fields, whether it's retail or or fast food or whatever it is, in any one of those fields means that. That the bar will be raised, innovation will happen, prices will go down, uh, quality of service, quality of product will go up, and that you know having more competitors in the marketplace is a great thing. And we just the situation today just doesn't uh, doesn't result in that happening. It prevents that from happening. So you're absolutely well, right. What what would you guys' argument be to the politicians if if, if, if you had the opportunity to go in to D.C. and speak before Congress? What would your argument be to the politicians to eliminate these these off the wall regulations that impede entrepreneurs? I well, guess that that would be um, exactly what the argument is. These uh, these off the wall regulations <laughs> impede entrepreneurship, and they actually harm the people that they are meant to help. And you know that it's you know I, I'd certainly go from the point of view of the good neighbor policy. I don't think I would bless the politicians with my my time, but if if forced to, uh, I would make the point. The, I would make the point of who the hell do you think you are trying to tell okay. me how to how to run my business? Who how dare you? And and who do you think you are? I mean, it's my life. It's my business. I should be able to run it how I want to, and my customers should be able to make the choice for themselves as to whether or not they want to do business with me. And they should be able to make that choice based on uh, the quality of my product or my reputation or the fact that I've got third-party certification or whatever factors, you know, word of mouth, whatever factors it is that they find or they deem important. Julia, what would you have to say? Uh, You two pretty much summed it up. (laughs) I can't really think anything different. Sean, any other thoughts for us tonight? Uh, no, good show. Keep it up. Thanks, Thanks, guys. We sure will. I appreciate the call. 800-259-9231. So if, if I'm doing business and you don't trust me or you think I'm shady, then you don't have to do business with me. In fact, you can tell other people what you think about my business and my practices, and maybe they also will join you in not doing business with me. There's no need for government regulations out there. The marketplace can handle third-party certification of various different products and services to where people who are concerned about whether or not the business they're dealing with is trustworthy can check with a uh, a verifiable resource to verify that, indeed, this is a trustworthy individual or a trustworthy company that you're doing business with. 
there are guarantees. There's insurance that you could buy, and, and there would be more of this stuff in the free marketplace. Instead people, of people just love force. Right. Well, instead of people just falling back and saying, well, see, I have a license. That means you're protected. That's nonsense. Just because somebody has a license doesn't mean anything about their business acumen. It doesn't mean anything about their ability to, uh, to satisfy their customers. It essentially means that they paid the state money, and, and jumped through it. the hoops. Yep. And they filled out money. some paperwork. Exactly. And uh, and that's all that the license means. But yet it has this aura of legitimacy to it. Oh, it's a license, and therefore, and they paid some money to the state, and so therefore they must be a good company. It's absurd. I've had I've had some very shifty licensed contractors uh, that I've dealt with in my time. And absolutely, and what it does is it, and, and what clearly it does is it takes up the pool, it, it depletes the pool of people out there that would be doing business in that particular way. Um, you know, they just can't get up the money to get the license, they can't get up the money to get the uh, the fancy vans and yes. all that other stuff that's involved in being a contractor or whatever. I'm I'm thinking of plumbers right now, sure. I guess. Uh, and you know, the fact is. It depends. You know, different plumbing jobs require different levels of skill. When you're talking about just a regular thing, why can't you have a handyman guy come in and do it? Why does he have to be licensed? One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. That is the SACL CAI toll free line. One of the various different organizations calling themselves government that doesn't have any licenses whatsoever are the government police. Where's their license? I want to see their certification. Oh, wait. Any they get police... certification from the yeah. police academy. Right. They get their own certification uh, from their own organization. It's not a real third-party agency. It's another uh, police inside the loop, inside the thin blue line organization where they all pat each other on the back and tell each other what a great job they're doing. Well, they, a... I, I'm sure that they have uh, you know, uh, criteria for getting into the club. They, they yeah. you know, Often these organizations will be tough on people getting into the club. It's once you're in the club that you're one of you're the good you're to a go. member. I see. Well, that's... That's how it was here in New Hampshire, in Man- uh, Manchester recently. Some of the activists got together and they went to this accreditation hearing. Apparently they have a, a rehearing from time to time. And once, as you're saying, Mark, once you're in the club, then the rehearing is just them patting themselves on the back and how great they are. But they went in there, a handful, I think it was about a dozen activists went in. They were not, the cops were not expecting this to happen. A dozen activists went into what was essentially just a police hangout meeting, and they uh, kind of stirred things up a little bit. They got some video footage of them talking about how outrageously uh, awful some of the Manchester police were, and I don't think it's going to result in them getting their accreditation pulled, but it was certainly uh, something they weren't used to happening. And it's something that can only happen with a significant amount of activists in a specific geographic region from which to draw. Yeah. And that's what we're doing here. We're gathering as many activists, liberty-loving people together as possible. And I can tell you that the statists, the dyed-in-the-wool statists that live up here are not liking it one bit. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line coming up. We'll tell you about the latest from the Thin Blue Line. Baltimore, one of the most violent cities in America. What are the police doing to protect their own? This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything. Just dial the toll-free number, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are completely free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. 
Have you been looking to spice things up in the bedroom or fantasizing about surprising your significant other with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to AdamEve.com and get 50% off one item when you um, one item when you type in FTL for the offer code at the coupon checkout. Plus, with your order of $17 or more, they throw in a free gift. It's 50% off with offer code FTL at AdamEve.com. Great deal. 1-800. And it's a huge selection, too. I was looking at it. It is. It's, it's, it's a superstore. 1-800-259-9231. All right. So here's the story. I've been selling it here all show tonight. And this is just awful news. But it seems almost inevitable. The Baltimore police will no longer release the names of officers who kill or injure, injure people. Just not going to do it. Nope. You know how when uh, when some some crime happens, some violent crime happens, and the individual who committed the crime is under the age of 18, they don't release the name to allegedly protect the youth. Basically. So are they suggesting the police are incompetent? No, uh, they're they're <laughs> doing this to protect the police. Apparently, according to the story here at BaltimoreSun.com, they're changing a long-standing practice that the department believes puts officers at risk. And we all know that officer safety is the number one factor for the police. Now, don't What we? makes me giggle about that is how many police officers have died in the past? However, I, like, I wonder what the statistics are for the amount, the number of police officers versus citizens have died. I mean, police officers, right. they occasionally get killed in the line of duty, but it's not like they're getting mowed down. And it certainly doesn't have anything to do with their names being released when they kill somebody. Right. The, 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 if, if, if it's an encounter between a citizen and an officer, the citizen's significantly more statistically likely to die than the officer is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I don't know who they're protecting themselves from. And you got to remember, none of those people that died got a, a trial. So from a legal standpoint, I you know obviously some of them are guilty in, in a moral um, fashion. They've done something wrong. However, they haven't been, from a legal standpoint, they are not... Uh, uh, they haven't done anything wrong. They're innocent. According to the story, the decision is prompting criticism from several Baltimore leaders who said withholding officers' names will only endanger an already tenuous relationship between the police and the community. Baltimore police shot 21 people last year, 13 <laughs> of them fatally. The same number killed by police in 2007 when 31 people were shot. Those numbers are up from 2006 when 15 were shot and five killed. So in Baltimore, they keep killing more of the citizens. Right, and and apparently their aim's improving because this year they shot fewer people but killed the same amount. If we're ever going to get to a point where the community trusts the police, we need to have some transparency and full disclosure about what hap- what's happening, said one of the state senators. The police department is asking residents to become more engaged in their neighborhoods and to work with the police to solve crimes and overcome a stop-snitching culture. Marvin Cheatham, president of the Baltimore chapter of the gross. NWACP. What, what's gross? Did, did I just hear you say that they're encouraging neighbors to snitch on each other? Because that's gross. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, what that's they're pretty doing. much what they're saying. That, that's that's disgusting. He said that the new policy doesn't help improve community relations. He said we've got to find more and better ways to bring the community and police together. This may not sit too well with many of us. Police commissioner, well, can you imagine have, how this might alienate some people who are already afraid of the police, who already have their friends and family members harassed on a regular basis and or arrested by the police now if the cops hurt somebody in the in performing their duties? You don't find out who it is. Unless you happen to get the the guy's name at the time and survive the encounter. If he happens to be wearing a name tag. Exactly. 
So uh, <laughs> would love to hear how. A lot some of the times they black out those name tags too. Though well, this you know, is so funny to me kind of because I'm a manager at a at a restaurant, mm-hmm. and when I get complaints, when people come to me and they want to talk to me about an employee and if they were mistreated, I just <laughs> I would get in so much trouble if I said sorry, can't tell you his name. Or, yeah. <laughs> sorry, not going to help you. Got to protect each other. That's against policy, ma'am. <laughs> like, it's just not the way Customer normal service, businesses work. Customer service not real high in the law enforcement community, unfortunately. Police commissioner, bureaucrat. If, if you do get good customer service from a police officer, it's because that police officer's a good guy. One of the uh, police commissioners declined to comment on the change, saying he left the decision to the department spokesman. So he's saying, oh, not my decision. Uh, I got nothing to say about it. The new policy mirrors some of those other depart- those of some other departments and is designed to protect officers from retaliation. Well, it also protects them from being often? identified. Do you think that police officers are retaliated against Find very often? Because I feel like that wouldn't go over so well. Yeah. You mean, what do you mean by that when you say it wouldn't go over well? Well... When I think of retaliation, I don't know, I can think of a number of, I don't, can't really think of a good example off the top of my head. But retaliation means go, getting back at somebody, right? right the cop hurts your friend, you go and bust hurt, his windows in. Exactly. I, that's not going to go over so well. It, you're going to end up dead or hurt or arrested or it, it just wouldn't You mean be, if you were to retaliate against the cops yes. and they found you out? Yes. Oh, they put all going, their resources yeah, into Yeah, that's that not going to go over well. So a spokesbureaucrat for the mayor says she will not interfere with the department's decision. So all the bureaucrats are stepping away. The police commissioner, the mayor, they're stepping back saying, hey, no, you know, it's, not our, it's not our bag. It's the cops, we're, we're not responsible here. Regionally and across the country, police agencies differ in their disclosure of police-involved shootings. Some release the names within hours and others withhold the information altogether. So I didn't realize this actually was a policy anywhere else in this country. I wonder how many departments have this very same policy and we just don't know it. The police union applauded the policy change. Robert Cherry, president of the Baltimore Police Union and former homicide detective, said the department vigorously investigates shootings that involve officers. He said, if anything, the investigation is more intensive than for the average citizen. The only thing the department is they doing They say things like that, and I've heard a lot, of things, a, th- a lot of things like that, but the evidence doesn't bear it out. No, it certainly uh, it certainly does not. Uh, the evidence is that whenever the cops are involved in some sort of blatantly obvious abuse of people's rights, 99% of the time the cops get completely cleared. They've com- the, the, the investigation turns out that, well, officer so-and-so is acting by the book. No problems here. Case closed. <laughs> That's the investigation. And to, to believe what this guy is saying is just, you're gullible. You either aren't paying attention or you're just gullible if you believe this cop. He says that uh, he says the only thing the department's doing differently is just choosing to not release their name. I'm surprised we haven't gone to this earlier. Now, what happens if you use the Freedom of Information Act? Most states have some sort of Freedom of Information Act-like piece of legislation on the books. Can you go in and request the files as far as getting the officers' names? On a special information request, are they just saying, well, we're just not going to release the name. We're just not releasing the name to uh, to the public as a matter of course. But if you were to come in and fill out enough paperwork and jump through enough of their hoops, could you get the info or would they just not release it, period? It would be completely classified. You'll, you'll get it um, after four years. Yeah. 
But I imagine that's how yeah, information a works. the process is going to take forever, and yes. b if you call up the police station and say, "All right, I'd like to find out some information about this case right here." They um, could go after sorry. you. Sorry, it's against the law now. We changed that rule. Sorry. I mean, they don't know their own laws. No, they don't, and they make them up as they go along. Or maybe they uh, maybe they would retaliate against you. Maybe they would say, "Well, we're going to need your name and address, sir. Where are you calling from?" And uh, and then they would find you on the road and pull you over and give you a bunch of tickets, or worse. Your thoughts on this new move by the Baltimore Police Department. Apparently, it's been going on. This isn't the first time. This is Free Talk Live. This program is brought to you by Freekeen.com. Freekeen.com features audio, video, and blogs chronicling the transition to a voluntary society. Freekeen.com also has comments and discussion forums so you can be heard. Freekeen.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything. The toll-free number for you is 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 800-259-9231. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. We've got a wiki with over 1,800 pages created by listeners like you. Head over to wiki.freetalklive.com and see what it's all about free. That's wiki, W-I-K-I. FreeTalkLive.com. Have the stories of civil disobedience here in New Hampshire touched, moved, and inspired you, but you're unable for whatever reason to be involved? Well, now you can. The Civil Disobedience Evolution Fund at cdevolution.org allows you to care for these brave men and women by financially supporting them while they face down the organizations that operate through violence and coercion. cdevolution.org. That's cdevolution.org. As we continue here, the story is from Baltimore, one of the most violent cities in the country. With There's another story here on the Baltimore Sun website. In seven days, Baltimore had already racked up eight murders. <laughs> seven days. I'm not laughing at people getting murdered, but that's no, really high. It's a really crappy place. <laughs> it is awful. And the, the fact is, the people don't trust the cops. Not just in Baltimore, but around this country. Because the the people who are involved with the police on a regular basis, and by that I mean lower income people, because the cops don't pick on the ultra rich. So people that are lower middle class or low, uh, or poor are uh, picked on by the police. Their friends and their family members are arrested on a regular basis for things like marijuana possession and other uh, consensual crimes, prostitution, etc., And so they see how the police ruin people's lives. They see how dangerous the cops are. They know. They're not not fooled by the police's uh, public relations scam that they're running. And so they're afraid to talk to the cops. If the cops come around, they know better than to even answer the door. They They don't even talk to the police. And they certainly don't snitch on their friends and family members. So are you cops. saying that the, the only reason or the, the largest reason that uh, Baltimore is one of the crappiest places in America to live, um, and sorry to anybody who's listening in Baltimore, it's just how I feel, um, is, are you saying that's because of the police and how they operate there? Oh, no, I have no idea. I, I was not making any conclusions. Well, you were, you were, you were saying that uh, poor people are scared to talk to police, and like I was trying to... Trying to piece together, why why is Baltimore one of the crappiest places in America? I don't know. Maybe they have some gun uh, gun regulations. I'm not really sure. They do. It's close to Washington D.C. That's probably the case. Yeah. For for me, I know some of the the other some other crappy places are very corrupt. 
and okay. corruption tends There's to a come lot of from the top down and things like that. And sure, but does corruption result in murders, uh, you know, seven murders in a day? I don't think corruption I think necessarily... Uh, How could corruption correlate into regular people murdering one another? Well, because uh, you would find what you would find is the drug laws being uh, arbitrarily enforced uh, for one group over another and that kind of thing. Cops being bought off, groups of cops being bought off. You could suggest that the murders are drug-related and the drug-related... If if there was no prohibition, then there might not be as many murders. That's a possibility. Well, it certainly, it certainly cut down on murders after uh, they, you know, uh, alcohol prohibition went away. But my point was that people don't want to talk to the cops, and and maybe they would solve more of these murders if the cops could get cooperation from people. That's kind of where I was going. Was that nobody wants to talk to the cops? So in the neighborhood where somebody gets killed, nobody wants to talk to the cops because they know the cops are going to suspect them. That you can't trust the police because of the corruption thing, because they're arresting their friends. So nobody cooperates with them, and the cops are frustrated by that. And so it becomes this adversarial situation where it's the cops versus the people. And now it's it's even more. The, the, the line has divided them even more. The thin blue line has separated the police from this, uh, the citizenry even further now in Baltimore with this new policy of not releasing the names of cops who have been accused of harming another individual. Yeah, this, that, that policy is out of the frame crazy. I'm, I'm glad I don't live in a place where that would be done. So according to this story here at BaltimoreSun.com, uh, they say that among some of the officers whose names were released were Officer Tommy Sanders, who's since been indicated or indicted rather on manslaughter charges in connection with uh, a death at a shopping center where a man was shot several times in the back after he attempted to flee from the officers. That's real classy. Yeah. If, if a man gets shot in the back... <laughs> chances they, they, there should be an even larger investigation and I'm of the opinion that police that break the law should get uh, bigger penalties than, mm-hmm. than an individual they are the law enforcement officers we need to weed these people out we need to have penalties for police that, that, are, that are higher than the average citizenry because otherwise what do you have you know, what sort of people are motivated to go work for the police well, then people that could uh, see a benefit uh, as far as committing crimes and stuff like that, unless if if in fact punishment, uh, you know, this prison time is a deterrent. Well, then let's act like we need to deter some crime. Let's punish the police more for committing crimes. And I don't think that there's any officer out there that would say otherwise. Here's uh, some more detail here from the police spokes bureaucrat. He joined the department after a stint in the federal office of the special counsel. He said the change is not a department-wide rule, but a policy of the public affairs office which disseminates information. So I was correct in my supposition that this information is still available to those who would seek it out. But they are just simply not going to be publicizing the names of the officers in these cases. However, as you said, Julia, it may be a very arduous and difficult and bureaucratic process to reveal this information now. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, there was a gentleman who did a sort of an undercover report and he went to 50 or some number like that um, police stations in the south in Florida. Mm hmm. Just to try to get a form to file a complaint against an officer, and not only was he harassed, and it was he didn't get the form. I think there was only two out of like eighty or fifty. It was a very small number. Um, he didn't get the form. He also got a a concussion. Was it? He or was a, yeah, yeah, he was he attacked. Was, he was beaten. His head. There was video footage of this guy's head being slammed against a wall. Yeah, uh, that that was the police complaint center. It's actually we've talked about it recently on the show. Uh, police complaint you got center. A complaint. 
Bam, bam, bam. Don't <laughs> complain with that. The Police Complaint Center is a great organization, and you can see that video footage at their website. I don't, don't know what That makes I'll... me really eager to want to go uh, to, to the police department for anything. <laughs> Fortunately, it's not that bad at all in Keene, New Hampshire. No, it's, it's not. And one of the things that you've got in a smaller place versus a large city like Baltimore is, well, the police department is just smaller. So you and can recognize the cops knows, around here. People know each other in Keene. Right. Right. So if you're in Baltimore, you spot a cop, you might never see that guy again. But if you're in a smaller place like we live, there's only 50 cops on the squad. I mean, there's, there's less than that, actually. There's 50 in the whole department. That includes the people answering phones and things like that. So there's only so many actual street officers. Even if they actually had a policy of, of withholding that information, it wouldn't be hard to discern who was who. But according to the story here, you had asked, Mark, well, what about the retaliation? What about – I think it was you that asked that. What, what, what instances of retaliation have the police suffered at the hands of the citizenry? Well, that's their excuse for this new policy of not releasing the names is, well, we've got to protect our officers. Our officers need safety. Well, what are they talking about here? Well, Mr. Guglielmi, their spokesbureaucrat, cited backlash against Officer Salvatore Rivieri. Does that name ring a bell, uh, ring a bell to you? It, no. He's the Inner Harbor Patrol officer who was videotaped berating a teenage skateboarder. Oh, yes. The video was posted on YouTube and appeared on national television, and police said Rivieri has received death threats at his home. Oh, no. Well, now, look, nobody killed Officer Rivieri, so the threats weren't obviously real, but I can understand why threats could seem to be a serious situation. But that said, what they're really but complaining Rob, about Rivieri here is... Rivieri was, was not doing his job properly. No, he was not. He was essentially harassing people. He doesn't deserve death threats, but that said, he does deserve a few phone calls and a few nasty emails and a few uh, nasty letters being delivered to his home. And that's what, he's, that's what the real complaint is here. Rivieri didn't like the fact that his name was splayed all across the Internet as a bad cop, as a corrupt, scumbag, douchebag cop. And he got a lot of fallout from that. And that's what they're saying here is, we don't want our officers who do naughty things to have any fallout whatsoever. It's not just about death threats. It's about the fact that this information is public, and they don't want it to be anymore. 800-259-9231 is the SACL CAI toll-free line. Perhaps you can defend this policy. You're certainly welcome to attempt to do so. And we'll take your calls about whatever you want here in moments. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. And this is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the toll-free number. You can bring up whatever you want, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us online at freetalklive.com. If you like the show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, you can AMP. You can join the AMP program. AMP stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. It'll cost you all of three bucks a month, and it's completely voluntary. You can enjoy all the features on the website, but when you're finally ready to get behind this show financially, uh, do it at amp.freetalklive.com. Because we take that money in, we take that three bucks in, combine it together with everybody else who's contributing. Over 500 listeners currently amp the show. We combine it together, and we use that money to promote Free Talk Live, get on more radio stations around the country, bring more Internet listeners on board, and spread the message of freedom as far and as wide and as fast as possible. Uh, you can, again, get on board and get perks like access to the AMP-only call-in lines, chat room, forum, and more, all over at amp.freetalklive.com. 
We continue here, and we talk to Jesse in Pennsylvania. Jesse, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello. Hello, Jesse. Yeah. Uh, well, I just I was listening to you guys talk about the Baltimore Police Department with releasing names and things like that. Yes, the Baltimore PD will no longer be releasing the names of the police who are involved in violent incidents. Okay. And well, I didn't know if you guys had seen anything about the. Bart shooting that happened in San Francisco. Yeah. Yep, we covered that earlier this week. I believe the day that it happened, where the basically the transportation cops, one of the cops, pulled a gun on a man who was uh, who was essentially handcuffed and shot him in the back. Yeah, I saw. I just saw it and heard about it today, and I was pretty outraged. About Shocking, it. isn't it? There yeah. really is no excuse at all for shooting a handcuffed man with your hands behind your back. What? Well, his excuse is, and, and I think that there's a certain validity to this ex- excuse, um, is that the, it, he thought he was going to stun the guy. And they they do have stun guns oh that my. look like guns. I don't you buy that excuse at all. You would think. I do. Um, well, then why is he not trained to use his equipment? I'm scared to think if I live wherever this happened, I'm terrified to think that there are police officers there out there who do not, cannot tell the difference between their stun gun and their real gun. Well, see, you would think that if you designed a, um, you know, you you designed one of these things to look like a gun and to act like a gun, that somebody's going to mistake it for. He you know, should vice not be versa. a police officer. That is terrifying. Uh, well, un- un- understood. He made a, a terrible mistake that cost a man his life. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing. And it won't cost him anything. But I'm, the, you know, the, the manufacturer, the, the 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 whoever decided to buy tasers that look like guns is a fool. Whoever decided to make tasers that looks like gun is irres. It looks like a gun is irresponsible. They don't look exactly like guns. They're shaped like guns. Well, how are you supposed to hold it and fire no, it if it's yeah, not shaped like a this, gun? Well, it, it, it could be. They have plenty of other tasers that aren't like that. They 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 look like little phasers from Star Trek rather than like a. I, I don't know. I guess they did have two different types of phasers on Star Trek. One looks one looks like a re- remote control to a TV. The other one looks like a handgun. Jesse, what other thoughts do you have for us tonight? I just. I don't know. I was just outraged by it, and yeah. I didn't know you guys had covered it already. Yeah, it's, it was an outrageous story, and I'm glad you brought it up. I thank you for the call, right. 800-259-9231. Mark, are you talking about the little hand uh, the hand zapper thing where you actually have to touch somebody with it well, when you're the, describing the taser? Because they have there's two types. They have different types of tasers out there. Uh, you know what? I'm going to do a whole bunch of research, and then I'm going to show you. Okay, that's the fine. Fact I'm is, telling you that these tasers can't look believe... like guns. Okay. So they look like guns. This guy holds his gun every single day at some point in time, right? Are he you takes telling it out me, of his belt and he puts it in. Are you telling me that he cannot tell the difference when he's holding it, whether it's a taser or a gun? I just, I can't buy that excuse. And if it's true, then this guy is a moron yeah, and he should not have a gun or a taser. I can't believe that a handheld taser, uh, a projectile firing unit, is in any way as heavy as it, a handgun. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I would not excuse that. for. I, there's, it doesn't look exactly. It's sort of a similar shape. But when you pull it out, the, the, the part that your hand comes into, it's it's pretty close. I mean, obviously, if you're you're doing any kind of close inspection, but this guy just pulled. I mean, we saw the. I saw the video. I don't know if you saw the video. Uh, I you just he just pulled it out and fired. Um, and it seemed to me that he hesitated for a second. Well, it. I, I'll tell you what. It, 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 I cannot believe, Mark, that you're standing up for it. I'm not I, standing up sad? for him. I'm I, just like, saying that people make mistakes. 
And to think that a cop a isn't going mistake. to make a mistake. It's a huge mistake. And I think that if a person, the fact is, the guy, you know the guy that uh, ran the, uh, the the boat into uh, the, the bridge there in Tampa, the Skyway Bridge. I mean, they came down on him like a sack of bricks. And they should come down on this guy like a sack of bricks. But they won't. He made it absolutely true. I agree with you. Which is why you, I have... But I'm not willing to say that the man didn't intend, you know, the man intended to kill the guy. And I'm not willing to say that this police department wouldn't be willing to make excuses for this guy. Absolutely, I, I would, I, you know, you're not going to get any argument from me there. I'm just saying that, you know, this guy, it could if be a mistake. indeed he mis- mistook his taser for his gun or whatever, switch them up, he needs to be fired immediately. There needs to be more than that. That's yeah. negligent he, homicide. He somebody. That's negligent homicide, plain and, and simple. And if I shoot somebody and say, oopsie. I thought it was my taser. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Silly> me. <laughs> I, I'm going to jail for a long time. That's true. You know, uh, the other thing here is the taser is supposed was supposed to be used in a situation originally. If you go and look at the police and what they said over the years and their policies, the original concept behind the taser was, hey, we're going to bring this non-lethal device into our repertoire, and we're going to use the taser in an event where we would normally shoot somebody and, and possibly kill them. We're going to save lives with this taser. That was the idea behind the taser initially, and there, may, there are still some police departments that supposedly have that uh, policy. But some departments have moved from that policy to the policy of, if you don't do what our officers say to you to do you will be tased now then if that's the case in the baltimore or the uh, rather the bar whatever the bart police department was it's out in california somewhere the san fran san francisco bay area rapid transit okay if if the police the transit cops in san francisco have the policy that says you will do as we say or you will be tased that just means that uh, that just means they have fallen off the off the radar as far as what the original concept of the taser was supposed to be. And but, in and addition I, to that, it shouldn't have been used at all because there were three or four cops standing around, more than enough to uh, subdue this particular individual. Well, I can see why cops wouldn't want to. Uh I I, I I understand why you would not want to hurt yourself trying to subdue a man, uh, but you've got handcuffs on him. It seems like you're pretty much in control there. Um, like, Four guys and one guy with struggle. his hands tied behind his back. He can struggle yeah. and flop like a fish all he wants. You stand up, I'm going to tase you. If you stand up, yeah. I'm going to tase you. We didn't hear that audio. Kind of thing. There was no. I don't recall hearing audio in that particular video clip. I would have loved to have heard what was going on nearby as far as having the audio clip, because we, all we saw was the video of the cop pulling his gun and shooting. I would love to have heard if the cop said, obey or you'll be tased. I bet you he didn't say anything like that. He just pulled and fired. And I am looking at the picture of the taser. Give me a break. This thing doesn't look anything like <laughs> I nothing like a pistol. That. That, that, it looks the like a particular taser. Looks it looks like, like a, a child's toy. gun. Yeah, like a Nerf that's gun. The, well, I'm, he didn't look at it. He pulled it and used it. You're looking at it as you aim at the individual you're shooting. And in addition, in addition, according to Manuel Laura from LouRockwell.com, uh, there 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 are tasers that weigh around seven ounces. You tell me how many handguns loaded with ammunition. Weighs seven ounces, Mark. Some old police issue stun guns were designed to feel and handle like firearms. The idea at the time was that police trained in firearms would be more comfortable using stun guns. 
pay attention to what you're doing. Understood. I'm not saying that the guy didn't make a stupid mistake. Yeah. I'm just not willing to say that he pulled and murdered. You know, that's well, all I'm he's saying. Still a jerk for pulling and tasing some guy in handcuffs. What have I been stand- sitting here saying? I don't think that the taser was the right thing to use at that time. It seems to me like a, you know he jumped too quickly. They were they were subduing the guy. He had 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 his hands up previously. He said, "Don't tase me." It, it's that's pretty, right. He it's was being very cooperative. The guy, the guy was tr- trying. You know, I mean, they, he said, "I have a family. I've got kids at home. Don't tase me, please." And that's what they did. And, and you well, know, they shot him. Excuse it's, me. It's so it's so weird uh, to it's me. So terrible to me. It's, but I'm not willing to call the man a murderer. I'm willing to call I him am. a manslaughterer. I like what Julia said. It's terrifying to, to terrifying think about is it. right. To, terrifying to think that there's a police officer out there who has a gun and a taser and is stupid enough to make the decision and is still has a gun and a taser. That is the most frightening things I've oh, ever he heard. he doesn't have his gun and taser. He's on va- paid vacation right but now. But he'll yeah. be back. Probably. Odds are good he'll be back. Actually, you know, I think I read that the guy resigned. I think I, I think I read that he resigned. And I'm sure he got a sweet little package to go with it. Yeah, I, that's that's happened before too. Where if if they essentially like, cut look, out before they're forced out, they get a little. Uh, they get their. They still get some sort of semi retirement thing. I'm not sure if that applies here or not. I, I, I completely agree that cops don't have the same kind of justice that uh, the, the average folk does. And the, and the truth is there is, no in, there is no vigorous investigation, as the as police spokes bureaucrat earlier was suggesting. They are in, in it to protect one another. The thin blue line closes around its ranks. The, uh, the brotherhood of the police protect one another. And the good cops that are in there stuck amongst all the bad guys, they feel like they can't do anything about the corruption. More coming up. Hour 3 is on the way. Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. Bring up what you want. Just dial toll-free 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. We're rolling into hour number three of the program, and you can bring up anything. 800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site we give away, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Dot com And this show is brought to you by our friends over at SACL CAI. They have a full-orbed approach to account recovery. It's really three companies in one. They do collections, early outbilling, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL knows the way they treat your customer reflects on you. Their staff is respectful. They record every call, and they have the best equipment money can buy, so your business is handled as efficiently as possible. See their banner at freetalklive.com. That's SACL CAI. As we continue with your phone calls about whatever you want to discuss, let's go first to Jamie, listening in Colorado. Jamie, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey, Ian. Hey. How's it going? What's on your mind tonight, Jamie? Um, I ran across something on the Chicago Sun-Times about uh, Chicago public schools um, purchasing, uh, what was it, 30 cappuccino machines, uh, racking up a bill of 67000 Wow, was that were those for the the teachers, uh, the, the the administration? Well, <laughs> they were trying to students. say that uh, they were for the schools, but the schools really didn't know what to do with them. You know, when they uh, saw that uh, they why would a school need an espresso machine? Sounds like something for the teachers' lounge. Yeah, sure. 
Wait, no, wait, no, was, it, was it the whole district that purchased the 30 machines, or was it one school? I missed that point. Well, it, it seems that way because it says here others included uh, high school staffers changing grades to pump up transcripts of student athletes and workers uh, at a restricted enrollment grade schools, uh, falsifying addresses. Um, so I don't know if they were trying to do that for grants or something to be able to purchase these uh, cappuccino machines. But I'm still confused. I don't know if that answered my question. Do you feel as though it was one school that made the purchase of 30 machines or the entire district? I missed that point. I, I'm thinking it's probably the, the whole district. The whole district. Yeah, that's what would make most sense. So we'll just, we'll just buy cappuccino machines for every teacher's lounge in the, lounge in the district. That's right. And it's kind of absurd because, uh, you know, with uh, how they feed the children in the school, why would they uh, feed them full of uh, cappuccino? No, that's, those aren't obviously are not for the kids. They're clearly for the administrators and the sure. teachers. So any other thoughts for us tonight? Uh, that's pretty much it. I thought that's crazy. Uh, that was Didn't I hear that there was that same school district? I think I saw this story. And that same school district is now begging for contributions so they can buy toilet paper. Isn't that right? Right. I'm, I'm sure that's uh, what it's coming down to. Yep, I think that was another part of the story. I thank you for the call tonight, 800-259-9231. So they spent their budget on buying cappuccino machines and didn't have enough left over for toilet paper. Nice. <laughs> well, the whole idea of using toilet paper at school, nice. What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> you know girls use toilet paper too, right? Yeah, but I'm sure that what they have to do is they have to use this, you know, wet, sopping. I mean, I'm sure that it's disgusting. What? what? People... I- I have never used wet sopping toilet paper You're in my life. You're lucky that they haven't vandalized the toilet paper. I mean, I'm sorry that public restrooms seem to have disgusting toilet paper that somebody's vandalized on a regular basis. I, I, <laughs> I hate that problem. I hate public restrooms. Hate I them. do too, but I, I didn't have that problem. I don't yeah, know. It wasn't that bad. You obviously had some issues. Let's go to Joe. Uh, Joe's gone. Let's talk to Dave in <laughs> Athens. Dave, listening to WAIS. Hey guys, how you doing? Hey, what's on your mind, Dave? Oh, uh, you guys brought back a sad memory to me. When I was in seventh grade, we were. It was before the college age prison experiments with the college student. Mm-hmm. We were doing a play, the Germans versus the Jews. Oh dear! And we had to dress up the parts. I, unfortunately, was a German. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, I don't think there was a good part in that uh, particular <laughs> particular play. This doesn't sound, yeah, this doesn't sound like an entertaining play at all. It sounds yeah. uh, a little, I don't know, maudlin. We had to act the parts, and I didn't want to, and some others didn't, but we were forced to. Hmm. Yeah. And this was in 1980-81. What happened? Did you load people into, into uh, ovens and things like that? Not that far. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Just put them on the trains. Yeah. That's sad. That's a sad story, Dave. Thanks yeah. for the call tonight. 800-259-9231. We continue. Talk to Cliff in Miami. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Cliff. Hey, guys. Uh, and lady. How are you doing tonight? Hey, good. super. What's on your mind? Um, on my mind is uh, kind of like a reply to what Mark was saying last night in regards to Gaza, because I called in and I couldn't hear you guys. I heard the uh, – I finally got to hear it on, on podcast. But anyways. Um, the one thing that I think is still missing, Mark, is this. Imagine if in New Hampshire, some other country or, or Massachusetts comes in and, and invades New Hampshire, for instance, and corners you guys against one other state, or let's say Vermont. So you have Vermont on one side, Massachusetts takes over half the land, and, um, and more than half the land. 
just these guys in the corner, and um, you're, you're having another border with whatever else you have. Okay, but now now they're all walled off, and uh, basically you're you're now you're old Mark and your son is now an adult, and where your property used to be, it's not owned by somebody else because they just took it over. So basically now he's he's walled off somewhere where he can't do anything. <laughs> he basically has he can't really have a future because he can't get out. Nobody wants to take him out. And, you know, the thing is, when you take a look at people from Vermont and people from New Hampshire, I'm sure you'll say there's a distinction. So just because, you know, you guys are all American doesn't mean that you guys are all the same. There's so certainly equating, a distinction. Uh, yeah, so equating, uh, you know, all Muslims, because they're Muslims too in Egypt, they're not the same. They're, they're not the same. Even when you take a look at the West, uh, the West Bank, for instance, it's not the same as, as, um, as the Gaza Strip. You don't Even think that the there's a moral obligation to, uh, for Jordan and uh, Egypt and, and those other Muslim countries to take in uh, the Palestinians? Because this is the part that uh, it's, it seems like Muslims and, and people that support Palestine just don't get. You know, they, the only solution, it seems, and, and to me this seems like an inadequate solution, is that Israel must go away. And the fact is, there are a bunch of people alive today. The vast majority of people in Israel went there. They bought their property. They were given their property in, in, from these kibbutzes or whatever. And they've worked to improve that property. That's their property. And I understand that that property was taken illegally, however, um, or you know, immorally. Maybe it was legal, I, I suppose. But what are we going to do about that? Because then the property that you've got there in Miami belongs to some Seminole Indians, and you better just go ahead and give it up, son. No, but that's what I'm saying. It's two different things. Because one is like you're talking about hundreds of years, as opposed to like you know your kid's lifetime. But I mean, the, the main point. No, is no, not, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. The... Here, you're, it, it is. It is on a continuum. But when does it end? And how? What? What? portion of land can can these uh, Palestinians point to? Because many of them didn't own that much land. What if they were renters? You know, what if they were renting their land? What if they were uh, sheep herders and had a great deal of land and now a bunch of houses are on there? Should all those houses be torn down? I think that the moral obligation at this point, at this point in time, because I can't do anything that hap- about what happened in 1940. At this point in time, the moral obligation lies with the other Muslim countries to take these people in. To say, I, okay, I you can be a citizen. Okay, I, I mean, it's just for Mark. I mean, let's go back to the same analogy I gave you in the beginning. I mean, do you think Zach basically would just have to give up the property that you bought with your, you know, you bought and you've done things to, you you built your own house over there? Yes. Now, do you think that Zach, who, let's say, you know, when, when this happens, he was already a kid and he already he had he had memories of this place. Do you think he should just what just stay in his little prison and not do anything about it and just try and hope that you know uh, that Vermont. I have a good idea. Why doesn't Why doesn't Jack pick up a weapon and kill a bunch of people that didn't have anything to do with it? No, I'm asking. What, what do you think should happen? I don't know. Here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you, man. The best I can come up with and uh, is that the United States should not give any money to Israel. It should not give any money to Egypt. It should not give any money to Jordan. It should not give any money to any of these countries. I'll, I'll accept that. Whatever. That. And it, it, it's all you're asking me to do is pick a side, whether it's Red no, Sox no, or I'm White asking, Sox. No, not at all. I'm not asking you to pick a side. I think what what I, what I hate is not hearing that other side because I think people will choose the side that they hear. So I just think it's important that. Someone has to present the other side, otherwise... I agree, say, totally. You just, you just the side here. It's, there's, a, there's a mess down there, and I think that we've said that, and I've tried, to, I've tried to be clear on that. I'm just trying to be as fair as I possibly can, and I don't know what the time frame is 
to, for a property be re, to be returned to someone, but I can tell you that it is not half a century. Thanks, Cliff, for the call. Okay, As okay. always, 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line, and you can bring up anything still to come here in moments. I'll tell you about a jail superintendent or a sheriff that's in some big trouble. Free talk. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything. Just dial the toll-free number, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It is Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features are free. They include the archives. So if you've missed a moment of the show, click and download right there on the front page of the website for your downloaded convenience. Totally free. freetalklive.com. You know that email's not secure, but hey, privacy's dead anyway, right? Well, wrong. Introducing PrivacyHarbor.com. It's an easy-to-use, secure email alternative. You can sign up for a free account today. You need this especially if you're in business. PrivacyHarbor.com. Get a free account today. 800-259-9231. We go here to a story that Julia has about a sheriff... I thought it was a jail superintendent, but apparently it's a it sheriff. It says it's an Alabama sheriff. Okay, what's the story? He's uh, he's caught caught red-handed doing something naughty. <laughs> right, uh, an Alabama sheriff who made two hundred and twelve thousand dollars in the last three years by feeding inmates what a judge said were skimpy portions was released from prison Thursday after submitting a plan pledging to feed them better. Oh, he he got out of jail just by saying, "I'll be a good boy." Yeah. Nice. Morgan County Sheriff Greg Bartlett profited legally from a Depression-era state law that allows sheriffs to keep any money that they can make by feeding inmates less than what they receive in state funding. Now, see, this is something that really bugs me. There's all of these ridiculous laws that don't make any sense that are left over from the just, you know, the 30s, the 40s, whatever. Mm -hmm. And if you actually go and you can... Search the internet for all these stupid laws out there that, like, you can't tie a giraffe to a telephone pole or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Just proves the point to me that they just constantly add laws. They never take any away. No, you they know, don't. I, I, these, uh, there's, I, I, there's been civil activism here in New Hampshire on uh, driver's licenses. I've always thought it was kind of silly because people, um, you, you know, people understand why licenses are needed, and and you know maybe there's a better alternative. I wouldn't wouldn't argue with that. However, uh, you know, people don't really get it, and I don't think that it really works. However, I think that a really great bit of activism that a uh, you know a, a person who wants to get active on driver's licenses and stuff like that is to ride a horse. There are all kinds of laws on the books that give horses the right of way. You can ride a horse right down the main road in New Hampshire. Is that right? And, 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 you know, <laughs> and carry a gun on your hip like... Yeah, that whistling's like you're Clint, like you're Clint Eastwood or whatever, and there's they have to let you tie it up, all kinds of things. So, uh, you know, obviously the world isn't cut out for horses these days, but yeah. there was a time in Keene, New Hampshire, when horses were the main form of transportation. Well, they are, so called, they haven't taken those laws off the book that give um, horses the right of way. Well, and they're called lawmakers, right? I mean, colloquially, that's what their the re- legislators are referred to as. They're called lawmakers. Not people who go into office looking to get rid of old laws. Yeah, not law law colors. Well, I mean, if you're going to have laws, it seems like maybe every 10 years they should clean it out a little, you know, go through them. That would require work. Yeah, like every every law needs a sunset. Here's here's what my opinion is on laws. Um, This whole idea of majority rules is 
it, it's proven itself as not uh, not worth it. It's just tyranny of the majority. Now, um, and, and it, it's true, but I think that you would agree that um, if we made maybe that we'd have a better system if you made uh, the, some kind of super majority where you've got ninety percent of uh, legislators to agree. Now, I think you can get ninety percent of legislators to agree that murder's bad. I think you might be able to get a hundred percent of legislators to agree that murder's bad, mm-hmm. which is yeah, that's pretty that's pretty um, you know severe. Now. On a jury, by the way, to convict someone of murder, you have to have all part, all of the uh, jurors you know, yeah. in alignment. And I think you'd have a much better system if you had some kind of supermajority set up. That's how they've, uh, you know, in some towns here in New Hampshire, the budgets have to be passed by, you know, certain percentages. And that's how they've managed to keep, you know, the, the new and improved schools going in that are going to, you know, rob the uh, local taxpayers in uh, a town nearby. Yeah, I think I mean if you're talking about tweaking democracy as awful of a system as it is, that would certainly be a small improvement. I think you're right about a that. A small improvement? I think it'd be light years ahead of where it is. It's still tyranny of the majority any way you slice it, but it's maybe a little less tyrannical. Uh, 800-259-9231. So what's the rest of the story here, Julia? He managed to cut costs so much that he's, well, he essentially got money extra for his department. $212,000. It, it says him? it's for him. It for says him, that he sheriff. reported it as profit on his tax return. You so remember, it's personally for the wow. sheriff. When this was passed, I mean, you're talking about the sheriff was the keeper of the county jail, essentially. He's the guy in charge of management uh, of it, and likely he had a couple of people, you know, to help him out. But most of these, you know, these jails weren't that big of an institution. <laughs> Is so, this an old law? Yes. Yeah, it's just oh, okay. a depression era. That's what we were just talking gotcha. about. Gotcha. I wonder where that came from. Right. It's saying that this is a law that was on the books from 1930, and it's still on the books, so that the sheriff can keep any extra money. So he basically found this loophole and has been profiting a lot from it. At the cost of the prisoners. Right. It says here um, the inmates who testified against him said that they were forced to eat meager meals of paper-thin bologna, bloody oh. chicken, and oh, cold God. grits, and then had to pay out of their pocket to supplement their diets oh. with high-priced snacks from the jail. Wow. Well, that is sad. Usually it's the jail doesn't make money on the commissary situation. I mean, they, they probably have some kind of contract where they make some kind of uh, money, but some outside or outside company sells the zoom zooms and wham whams to the uh, uh the convicts in, yeah but in if the you're jail. getting your your nutrition from a twinkie instead of <laughs> <laughs> and bloody chicken yeah I, oh it's no so, doubt. it's terrible it's, it's terrible um so the judge has ordered that this guy be released after the judge or the sheriff's lawyer submitted a plea well, this is this is a simple remedy. I mean, the the legislature made this problem, and they could solve this problem. Uh, inmates need to get uh, two thousand calories per day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. So. And why should the sheriff be able to pocket extra money? Shouldn't the taxpayers get that back? Tax- exactly. Well, which is why I was going to say it's a stupid law in the first place. I don't care when if they put that law in the books. If there's extra money. Give it right. back to the people who you took it from in the first place. Well, I think that they're actually, I think it's a good law in this uh, manner because that sheriff never spent his entire budget and said, then I need more money to feed these convicts. Yeah. I don't have enough money to feed these convicts. And then grew his budget every single year like every other sheriff has grown every other budget out there. They love budgets. The food service director. talking about feed, feeding people, I don't think that that's that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal, but it, I mean, there are a lot of other budgets. Every government budget works. The food service direction director yeah. wants to have bigger budgets so they can have more people so he can be a bigger... So they're getting more money every year, presumably, or at least the same amount of money 
and he's feeding them less and less so he can pocket more of it? It, that's it's I, I I see some problems with it. Absolutely, yeah, he may have been increasing his budget anyway. It Mark. says here, but uh, the, the judge isn't taking responsibility for what he's doing, which is incarcerating all these people before their court dates. The fact is, the only person who should be incarcerated before their court date is somebody who is legitimately a flight risk, uh, somebody who's violent, perhaps. It says here that 55 of Alabama's 67 counties operate under a similar system that allows them to make money operating their jail kitchens. Man, that's just corrupt right the, on its face. The state pays sheriffs $100 and $175 a day for each prisoner, and then they let the elected officers keep any profits they make. 1-800-259-9231. It's uh, all a system for the system. The system by the system for the system. It's all about them, not about you. 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Coming up, kids, government schools, indoctrination. What's it all about? What about adolescence? Is, should it even exist? We'll talk about it. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. The show is Free Talk Live, and you can bring up anything. Just dial toll-free 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are free, and they include the uh, the, uh, Shrine of Female listeners, the dozens of ladies who've sent us their validated photo to prove they listen to the show. Head over to shrine.freetalklive.com and see what it's all about. That's shrine.freetalklive.com. The Institute for Humane Studies is now offering free seminars over spring break. They also have them during the summer breaks, too. This March... Libertarians from across the country for an intense and interdisciplinary exploration of classical liberal and libertarian thought. Participation free. The IHS provides housing and meals significantly better than the meals that the sheriff was providing people. Um, during the conference, apply now to attend a seminar at the University of California, Santa Cruz, March 7th through the 12th, or at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, March 14th through the 19th. Visit libertarianseminars.com for more information. That's libertarianseminars.com. All right, we continue here. This story from LouRockwell.com, Doug French, talking about adolescence. In his book, Democracy, the God that Failed, Hans Hopp argued... Hoppy? How do you pronounce that? I don't know. Hoppe argued that democracy and government has made people less farsighted and not as concerned with providing for ever more distant goals. What's he proposing? uh, Autocracies? Thus, society is tending toward de-civilization. As Hoppe described, adults are being turned into children. Children have very high time preferences, living day to day and from one immediate gratification to the next, Hoppe explained. American society has essentially lengthened childhood by creating adolescence. In a very provocative new book, The Case Against Adolescence, Recovering the Adult in Every Teen, psychologist Robert Epstein contends that when mammals reach puberty, they function as adults. I've been saying this for years. Except in America, that is. Starting a hundred years ago, Americans gradually increased the age of adulthood to what many Americans now believe to be 26. You've heard 30 is the new 20 and 50 is the new 30. Soon, we'll all be kids again. 
Epstein argues effectively. I've, I've actually uh, heard, uh, it was a psychologist that I went to when I was in high school. He said that 34 was the age of adulthood. Is that right? For him. That's you know, insane. Like, psychologically. I, I just think this is all madness. This whole idea of well, extending childhood. It is crazy, but if you really, if you go out and talk to most um, 22-year-olds, 24-year-olds, they can't take care of themselves. It's amazing. They're still, in some fashion, hanging on to their parents. Well, uh, don't the people on welfare, I mean, people often say they can't take care of themselves, too, and many of them are well over the age of adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the reason they can't take care of is themselves because nobody's is because ever... they don't have to take care of themselves. <laughs> if you take your 18-year-old and give him the boot out the door, he is going to learn real quick how to survive and do... Um, and he's going to learn life's lessons much more quickly. But if you helicopter over him and hover and provide and pick up the uh, the, the pieces where he drops them for uh, for you, then that's not going to help. Right. To me, uh, this uh, there's, a, there's a parenting style that works significantly better. Um, and Letting your kid make mistakes and learn from them, but abs- on I think own? you should be a resource uh, for your kids so that they, you know, they make fewer mistakes. You don't want them to make every mistake in life, but they have to be able to make their own decisions, and then they have to have the consequences of those decisions. However, I think when it comes to things like buying vehicles and buy, and you know college and stuff like that, that a parent can help financially, but that they should offer assistance. Okay, you want to go to such and such university? That's fine. At that particular university, I'm willing to pay uh, 75% of the tuition when you pay 25%. Then we'll pull the money and we'll put it together and we'll write a check. And that way they have to pay something for what it is that they're getting. And with a car, yeah. fine. I'm willing to help you out with the, um, you know, purchasing an automobile because I would like you to be safe. Um, and I don't want to have to, t- to take care of your invalid. I had to buy my own rest. car. Right off the bat. I had to buy my own car, too. Me, too. I'm just saying My mom was nice enough to co-sign. Some parents buy BMWs, Right. You know? My mom co-signed for a loan and said, if you don't pay this off and I end up paying for it, I'll kill you. <laughs> and that was that. I paid off the loan early on my yeah. own and never looked back. When I had my first vehicle or my first car, it uh, it was a real, I mean, it was a truck in my case, but it was it was something very, uh, that it was very pride, uh, it, it involved a lot of pride in my case, and I felt good about it. I mean, it wasn't the most beautiful car, uh, truck in the world, but it was mine, and that meant something. And I, I know that when it's the, the kids that their mom buys them the BMW or daddy buys them a, a new Lexus, it's their car because it was given to them. It's not the same. It's not the same as if you buy it yourself and you actually own it. You actually worked for the money to purchase it. You, um, It is truly your car at that point. And I think that's a, it's just a big uh, mindset difference between somebody uh, to, between a youngster who is, is working for the things that he possesses and a youngster who is being spoiled by his parents. But we've got a situation now with these uh, young people today. Julia, you were saying that you know people who are in their early 20s. Most of the people I know who are in... In fact, I can't think of anybody with the exception of some like Free State Project members, I think, and people who I don't even really know who I mm-hmm. associate on, with online or whatever. I can't think of anybody I know in real life who is under the age of 22 who actually lives on their own and does not have mommy help them out with some kind of bill. What about the 22-year-olds who have kids on top of all oh. that? I mean, you've got young people who can't take care of themselves, and then they go and get knocked up. And then it's time to have a baby? What kind of madness is this? 
there's so many different factors that are involved here. Government schools, the indoctrination uh, process that kids go through that encourages them to be more childlike for a longer period of time, discourages uh, things that would normally create maturity, like getting into the workforce, getting to the workplace, and in dealing with people in, the, in a real-world environment. Right. That, that's what creates maturity is yeah. the real world. And when you, uh, you know, use the laws to systematically cut kids off, well, because kids need time to be kids. Well, kids need to be able to do what the you know whatever it is that they want to do. If if I wanted to spend time playing with Star Wars figures right now, I could do that. That's fine. <laughs> but, but, you know, I could fly the fly the Millennium Falcon around my office if that's what I felt like doing. <laughs> but you know. <laughs> the 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 fact that this idea that kids need time to be kids is so disempowering. Yeah. I, I went to work at 12 years old, and I'll tell you what it taught me about how life is and how life works. Yeah, I had plenty of time to be a kid when I was a kid. But when I was growing up, I, I also was able to work for my mom and, and get some experience at dealing with customers and things like that. And when I could, when I was old enough to work legally, I ran right out and got a job. And I think that, that my experience in doing those things was incredibly beneficial to me as an adult. When I was a kid, it's actually kind of interesting because my mom and dad are opposites on that end. My mom wanted me to get a job at 14 and mm-hmm. I got a job at 14 and my, and my mom uh taught me how to work and I thank her every day for it it's probably the best thing she ever did for me really sure and my dad would always yell at me and my mom and he had all kinds of strict rules about the hours I could work I don't want you working except one day a week blah 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 <laughs> blah and he would get really 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 angry he did not want me to have a job he, he wanted, wanted you to be me an academic. to con- yeah he wanted me to concentrate on my studies well, do school I could I you know I have been there in life. Um, I've definitely said, you know, in, that I'm going to take care of my kid until he's out of high, out of college, and had, had that way he can concentrate on his studies and all that other stuff. And I think it's for some kids that may be the right thing to do. And I, I, I'm not going to tell people how they should run their lives, but I think that. There's some real value to be learned in real life and going out and getting a job and that kind of thing. And and the fact is the current system discourages that. Epstein, who uh, wrote the book, The Case Against Adolescence, effectively argues that American culture collaborates in artificially extending childhood through public schooling as well as labor laws. In most of human history, young people worked side by side with adults from their early teens, with young women becoming wives and mothers. Early on, he fingers the labor unions as the culprits behind child labor laws. In 18 1981, the forerunner to the AFL-CIO made child labor a high priority. Yep. One of the the AFCIO, uh, AFL-CIO, or the rather the prior organization spokesman said this: "We are in favor of the passage of laws in the several states forbidding the employment of children under 14 in any capacity under penalty of fine and imprisonment." Why? Well, they didn't want competition from all those youngsters coming in doing their jobs better than them. It was a protectionist racket, first and foremost, that prevented young people from working after a certain point. 800-259-9231. That's after a certain point of time, up to a certain point in their age. More coming up here on the extension of childhood, the artificial extension. Free time. This is Free Talk Live only. Moments remain. Toll-free number for you to bring up anything is 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 
It's Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features we give away, and if you like the show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, get all your shopping done at amazon.freetalklive.com. Enter Amazon through that link, and Free Talk Live will get a percentage of your purchase. Whatever it is you need to buy, Free Talk Live gets a cut. It's 41 categories in which you can shop free Super Saver shipping on a whole bunch of items. You'll find what you're looking for, most likely the brands you trust, great deals, and Free Talk Live gets a percentage when you enter through Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. I want to invite you to the, uh, to the Liberty Forum. It's coming up here in early March, March 5th through the 8th. The Free State Project is putting it on. It's happening in Nashua, New Hampshire at the beautiful Crown Plaza Hotel. Same location as last year. Free Talk Live will, as we were last year, also be broadcasting live again every single night. And we look forward to meeting you there and having you meet all kinds of interesting people. Hundreds of liberty-minded people, many of whom are have already moved to New Hampshire, many of whom were already here in New Hampshire. Some of them have uh, some people that will be attending will be considering moving to New Hampshire, and some are just going to come up to meet the big names, like Glenn Jacobs, uh, you might know him as WWE's Kane, Dr. Mary Ruart from Healing Our World, Anthony Gregory from LewRockwell.com, Mark Stevens, Adventures in Legal Land, and Richard Heller from the Heller vs. DC gun case. So many more, not enough time to announce them all, and more will be announced before the event uh, actually kicks off. So go and get the early bird discount while you still can at freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. Get signed up and save 10% with our discount code, 2009FTL. That's 2009FTL to save 10% on the 2009 Liberty Forum. Go to freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. We will see you there. Uh, We continue this story from lewrockwell.com's Doug French. Doing a quick review of the book written by Mr. Robert Epstein. We've read an article, or an interview rather, with Epstein in the past when we've talked about this issue in the past on this show. And he is, he is the man who is on the spot on the issue of childhood and extending it far beyond where it is supposed to be, uh, where it's supposed to end. Basically, uh, Basically, Robert Epstein is contending that once mammals reach puberty, they function as adults, and he's got the evidence to back it up, except apparently in American society where the culture essentially protects young people from the realities of the world as long as it possibly can, shielding them from real-life consequences and real-life experiences. Well, many people would say that America is more complex than the rest of the world, so therefore they need to do that, and and, and I think it's... it's That's poppycock. To Kids, some extent, they, they, they shelter not just... In America, but uh, you know, Western Western countries do this um, also. But kids are brilliant, man, and they can pick up on stuff really fast. They're teaching their their parents how to use the computers. I can tell you that. Right. I mean, the, the fact is, we were talking earlier about how what we've got today is a situation where the the childification of American of the American youth has resulted in people essentially still being childlike all the way into their 30s in some cases, but certainly into their mid 20s. So you end up with essentially. What you what you basically have are young teenagers in adult bodies with these 21, 22, 19-year-old uh, people, girls getting knocked up. The mentality is of a young teenage girl, but they, their age of their body is 20 years old. She gets pregnant. She doesn't know how to take care of a kid. She barely knows how to show up to work on time, but yet she's got a baby on the way. Whereas if, it was the, re- if the real world was, uh, if these kids were allowed to experience the real world, they would be out there working at age 12 and 13 and 14, and they'd be creating their own career for themselves. Yeah. They'd be educating themselves, and then... they. By the time they were 20, they'd have seven or eight years of work experience under their belt, and they'd be far more prepared to have a baby at that age. I'm still not saying I would recommend it, but at least at that point, it would make a little more sense. 
I think a lot of people, when they hear things like 12-year-olds working, they they sort of picture in their heads like little sweatshops, kids. Exactly, in sweatshops and stuff. Little, but, fingers, little fingers in sewing machines getting like buzz sawed right. off and things like that. <laughs> But, but the, well, we're t- first of all, we don't have sweatshops in America. We went through an industrial yeah, we went through an industrial revolution, and we are so wealthy as a country and so fortunate that we, we, we that would not happen. That would not right. be the situation at all. What I encourage young people to do is to at least get a part-time job. I mean, I started working ten hours a week, and it wasn't much, but it taught me. First of all, it gave me money, which taught me to like work and appreciate work because I had money and no one else did. Everyone else had their mom's money, but this money was mine, and I had more money than anyone else my age. And there's and always selling newspapers. Exactly. Well, you can do, actually. I think that's something you can right. do that's what younger. I'm saying. That, well, that's that, that's an option that you can get around the the current rules with. Or if your parents happen to own a business, you can usually make three bucks an hour or something right. like that working for them. You. <laughs> but but you learn something, so yeah. you're yeah. really not getting screwed. I mean, a twelve year old isn't as valuable as a as a seventeen year old. But I used to my not my mom, but my one of my mom's really close friends used to own a barber shop and I used to go and sweep up hair and I think I probably got paid five bucks or something like that. It wasn't very much, but I didn't do very much. So I didn't really deserve very much but money. But the people who want to protect children and extend childhood would say that your your sweeping in that barber shop was an abuse. You were too young. You shouldn't have been doing that kind of work. But the problem is who do they think they are to make those decisions for our children? Right. Who do if they you think want they your are? kids to be losers at age 26, you, you go should, for yeah, it. You should be able to. But according to uh, Epstein, he says that the unions back in the day in the 1800s didn't want competition from young workers who are likely smarter and more productive than the older workers. Work by David Weschler and J.C. Raven indicates that our highest mental age is in our mid-teens. According to Raven, apparently by the age of 14, a child's trainability has reached its maximum, while after the age of 30, a person's ability to understand a new method of thinking, adopt new methods of working, and even adapt to a new environment steadily decreases. Oh of boy. course, it's going to get so much worse for me then. Of course. <laughs> I mean, I'm 37 and I hate new things. Of, hate them. Of course, today's teens don't act like they have the most brain power in society, and how <laughs> could they? They're isolated in government schools, away from adults, and given no responsibilities. They're infantilized. Infantilized by many uh, by the many laws restricting young people. Curfew laws, tougher driving laws, teen wage laws, laws curtailing sexual activities, free speech restrictions at school, censorship of educational activities, dress codes, smoking and drinking laws, ad in. Uh, infinitum. Infinitum. Infin. You're right. Infinitum. (laughs) But government and unions are not the only teen enemies. The author also makes the case, sometimes effectively, sometimes not, that everyone works against their teens being adults. The media portrays teens as self-absorbed. Big business makes or business makes big bucks promoting teen culture, and even parents underestimate their teens' abilities. Epstein's book is chock full of examples of young people in history who've made tremendous contributions. Louis Braille, if he were a blind kid today, would be cooped up in special needs classes. Fortunately, Mr. Braille lived in the early 1800s and had perfected, you might have heard of it, the Braille Braille system (laughs) by the time he was 15 years old. Samuel Colt, you might have heard of him. He made a multi-round revolving head pistol when he was 16. Edgar Allan Poe had his first book published at 18, including poems he'd written at ages 12 and 13. 
The fact is, creativity is at its peak in early childhood and teen years. But as we enter adulthood, we learn to conform, which takes a toll on creativity. You know, I was talking to a, a young guy who, who started working for us, and it's actually his first real job. He told me what I was talking to him. He's kind of a dorky kid, really nice guy. And we started talking about computers and then eventually went to robots, which is one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> and he told me that when he was young, like 10, he basically made a Roomba, a vacuum. He said that he programmed it with with knots, basically, and there was like this string with knots in it, and it would determine how far it was going to go, and he could program the vacuum to go throughout the whole house just on this system of knots based on the measurements of the room. Hmm. And I was amazed. Like, that's really cool. And what did the adults in his life say to him at that time? I mean, I'm speculating, but some adults might have said something. Oh, isn't that cute? Ha, ha, ha. You know, and they wouldn't have encouraged him to do anything about it because, well, what can you do? You're 12 years old. This is an attitude that a lot of adults have. It's a very, uh, it's an attitude of superiority, an air of, well, I know more than you because I've been around longer and what I say is more important. And you don't, you know, you don't mean anything. You're just a kid. Well, they're not. They're young adults, and they're developing into uh, to full-blown adults, and they should be allowed to develop in whatever ways they want to develop. But the laws in the society and the culture prevents that, and it's sad. Teen ingenuity remains high. I'd like to make the point that if Edgar Allan Poe was living today, he could still write stories and publish those stories. He is not. Uh, you can still raise your kid to be an adult you if you choose to do this. And I, it's so, difficult though with with the culture that that they're in. It's, certainly, it's certainly not encouraged. I think that if you treat your child like they're going to, but my mom raised said she raised me to be independent, and that um, you know I believe that. And I, you know, I think that you can raise your kid to be independent. Now, there's there's problems that are, um, you know, the, the the laws make it difficult for them to get a job. However, there are things they can do in order to to get work. Public schooling was created to mold young people into compliant citizens and sapping their creativity. Teen ingenuity remains high, but given the need to rebel, lack of adult companionship, and laws prohibiting the signing of contracts, their creativity is rarely channeled into positive pursuits. In a test for adultness co-created by the author, the difference between how adults and teens scored was statistically insignificant. Epstein says that age isn't a reliable measure of adultness, at least not not once people are past puberty. We'll see you tomorrow night. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supply, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.